0: Wonderful. Well good morning once again. We uh, come to the Word this morning. We're going to be a little bit later on in uh, Genesis chapter 41 as we continue our series looking at the life of Joseph. But I want to start off by asking a question. When is a send-off not a send-off? Do we have any Broncos fans here this morning? I see one hand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> last night and I don't know if you saw it but there was a, a send-off and there's been much debate about it um, a, a guy was was attempted to tackle one of the Broncos players attempted to tackle on one of the Raiders players around his legs and he he tripped him up and the, the Raiders player then fell into the shoulder of another Broncos player who then got sent off for a high tackle as you know there's been a a, a, a crackdown on uh, contact with the head uh, lately because of the concussions and, and all sorts of other health impacts that that causes. But there's been a whole lot of debate around that and just reading through some of the commentary and comments this morning you know there, there are comparisons to well if that was a send-off what about what happened in the state of origin and or what about this time or that time? You know whenever we feel like there's a sense of injustice that's when we will argue our point won't we we will argue till we're blue in the face or maroon in the face as the case may be there's an injustice that's been done things haven't gone the way we wanted them to or the way we expected them to and so we feel frustrated we feel angry we feel like someone's made a bad decision that's had a negative impact on, on our situation or our circumstance, on our livelihood or on our team. We feel let down, frustrated and angry. When someone has outright done something or said something to us or about us or about someone that, that we care about deeply, we feel hurt and we often feel let down frustrated and angry. The things that we go through in life, the problems we face, the challenges we're confronted with and the wrongs that are done to us will lead us down a path of deep hurt. This is a natural process for us. When things happen to us that are not pleasant, we get hurt. The problem with that is that it can lead to resentment and bitterness And even hatred. Left unchecked, not only do these feelings poison our relationships with other people, they also significantly hinder our relationship with God. They block our relationship with God. They do this because these emotions of resentment, bitterness, and hatred are completely opposite to the heart of God so much so that we cannot know God's heart, we cannot hear God's voice while we allow these emotions of resentment, bitterness and hatred to rule in our hearts and to rule in our minds. You might feel like, well, what's the problem if if someone has done something bad enough to me? Don't they deserve to be punished? Don't they deserve to be uh, outcast and isolated? Well here's the problem, God does not want us to be like that. God does not want us to feel like that because those feelings don't lead us towards his heart. They entrap us, they ensnare our lives, they rob us of our peace, our joy and our hope and our freedom. They don't help us grow closer to God stop us from living in God's love and living out his love. Resentment does not know God's grace but it desires revenge. Bitterness does not know mercy and forgiveness and hatred does not know love. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 to 32 Paul says this, Therefore. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Let, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all your bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see the, the heart that God that, that Paul is teaching us to follow, to pursue, to put away that resentment, to deal with that hurt and take it before the cross and say, God, this is a problem for me. This is a burden on my shoulders, a weight that I do not want to hold on to anymore, but I want to be led in your ways. Of bitterness, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 to 17, the writer of Hebrews writes this, see to it, in verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness, when we allow it to take root in our lives, affects the witness that we have to the lost in our communities, the lost in our neighbourhoods. And we have this strong encouragement here to see to it that there is no bitterness in your heart, that the bitterness in your heart may lead others astray, may lead them away from God. Let's, let's look at that in, in the whole context of what the writer is saying. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see holiness of God the glory of God is not seen merely in our words it's seen in our hearts it's seen in our lives that is where the witness of God the words of God have power and application where the gospel is becomes meaningful and relevant to the lost so strive for peace with everybody And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Here is a huge wake-up call for the church. Jesus said about the sheep and the goats, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, get away from me for I never knew you. If you're going through a time where for you holding on for bitterness and and getting rid of bitterness is something that that you just don't want to do, here is a warning that the writer of Hebrews gives us likening that, holding on, harboring that bitterness, harboring that anger, harboring that hatred is like Esau who sold his birthright. You're giving up the blessings of the kingdom of God in order to hold on to a resentment and a bitterness in your heart. Without that repentant heart, a heart that desires God, that seeks God's forgiveness, we cannot be in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot be in the kingdom of God. We do not belong there. In 1 John 3, 11 to 18, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he, as he so poignantly tells us in his gospel, writes this. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the the brothers whoever does not love abides in death Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet, chooses his heart against him, closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Again, we have this, this imagery, this motif of what matters in the kingdom of heaven, what matters to belong to God, what matters in order to, to receive the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, the, the joy and the peace that we have. The hope that we have in eternity is that our hearts abide with Christ, that we love and not hate, that we put aside our hurt for the sake of the lost, to live and love God's way. Let's get to Joseph. Joseph has been through some stuff, quite a lot of stuff. If you haven't been with us through our series so far, we've seen how Joseph was the favourite of his father's children. His father had children to four women uh, and he was the oldest son of his father's favourite wife. And so he got preferential treatment amongst all of his brothers and, and his sister and they hated him for it. They plotted to kill him until one said that we shouldn't kill him. Let's sell him." Well, he wanted to save him, but then let, then the plan changed to sell him into slavery. So they slaved, sold him to the Ishmaelites, uh, who then sold him into slavery in Egypt. He's been wronged by his brothers. In Egypt, he was bought by Potiphar and he he served Potiphar and everything he did, God blessed him. And, And so Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his household so that Potiphar only had to concern himself with what he ate. Joseph took care of everything else. And then Potiphar's wife made advances towards him. Yet out of his integrity, for his relationship with God, out of honouring Potiphar and honouring this woman, he refused. He refused and he was thrown in prison because he chose the righteous way. He was wronged by Potiphar and he was wronged by Potiphar's wife. And now, even though it's been unintentional, There was the baker and the cupbearer and he interpreted their dreams and he said, when you are restored to the cupbearer, he said, when you are restored to the right hand of Pharaoh, remember me. Yet the cupbearer forgot innocently enough, unintentionally, but still Joseph has been wronged again. It would be so easy for Joseph to wallow in his problems, to be filled with self-pity, to be angry for all that has happened to him to be bitter towards his family for rejecting him, bitter towards Potiphar's wife for trying to use him and then manipulate her husband to punish him for honour and respect. It would be easy for all this bitterness to fester into hatred towards the cupbearer who couldn't care enough just to make mention of him to Pharaoh in his moment of need. But none of that would help Joseph in every situation we see Joseph in, we, we see in him a steadfast faith in God. It's his faith and his resilience and his reliance on God that trumps everything else, even his feelings of discouragement. In the worst of moments, Joseph is content to trust in God, to lean on God and to look to God for guidance and comfort even when, especially when things don't make sense, especially when there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. Here he has been waiting and waiting for word that Pharaoh has heard, yet nothing happens. And even in this waiting, he relies on God. He trusts in God, that God has a plan and a purpose. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 41 and we'll look at our passage for this morning. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile, and after them, Uh, And and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer chief cup said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you uh, said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, listen to this. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Right in that moment, Joseph engages with Pharaoh, a man whose word you do not question, whose authority you do not stand up against. He honestly, authentically, with all integrity and honor, replied very simply, it is not me, but God will give you an answer. Yahweh will give you an answer. Now this is in in, in probably one of the most pagan cultures, pagan societies the world has ever seen, where this man, Pharaoh, places himself as a god for his people. And Joseph very gently says to him, God, my God, Yahweh will give you your answer. Wow. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears of co- growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And as I told it to the magicians... But there was no one who could explain it to me. You see, dreams were significant. And we talked about this last week with the, the, the cupbearer and the baker. And Joseph, in verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good and are seven years. and The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. And all the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow forth. It will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming up and store the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine." This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. For two years, Joseph has continued to wait in prison. When presented with the task of interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, his motives are clear. His heart is clear. How easy would it have been for Joseph to, to see an opportunity to escape his captivity? How easy would it have been to, to weigh in on Joseph's presupposed ideas about uh, Joseph, uh, Pharaoh's presupposed ideas about Joseph? To take the glory for himself to find a way to escape and get back to his father. It would have been so easy. But Joseph doesn't act out of self-preservation. He doesn't seek any demands for himself. If he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, there are no conditions attached. It's like Pharaoh, I can interpret your dreams, but only if you are uh, favourable to me. Only if you grant my freedom. There are no strings attached here. For all Joseph knows, the very next thing Pharaoh says is, thank you, Joseph, now go back to your master's house. Go back to serving in the prison. He doesn't require any guarantee from Pharaoh that he'll be released. There is no self-interest here. Joseph concerns himself with one thing, the glory and honour of God. Repeatedly, Joseph reminds Pharaoh so that Pharaoh is under no illusions, so that Pharaoh is not mistaken, so that Pharaoh does not point any or attribute any glory to Joseph. He reminds Pharaoh that this is what God has said to you, not me. It's God. God has done this. God has said this. In verse 25, we see that Joseph doesn't take credit for God's work, but confidently points Pharaoh. He says, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. It's not an issue of pride. It's not an issue of who is right and who is wrong. It's an issue of glorifying God, letting his power and majesty and righteousness and grace and mercy be known. Joseph speaks to a king who represents himself as a God. There is no guarantee of how Pharaoh is going to take this news. But Joseph trusts in in God's plan. And the witness, the witness of God at work in Joseph's life, the relationship between Joseph and God is not hindered by the trials and the challenges and the hurts that Joseph has endured. He has not allowed the bitterness to take root in his heart. And as a result, the high king of Egypt declares this, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of Yahweh? We don't know if if Pharaoh became a worshipper of of Yahweh, but we know that here is an acknowledgement that Joseph's God is powerful, that Joseph's God is in control. And he seeks then to place the one person he knows who, who can understand and listen to the heart of God in charge of all of his affairs. What an amazing thing. An amazing witness we have here. That because of Joseph's faithfulness, because of his gentleness, because of the tenderness in his heart. Because of his, his integrity with his relationship with God. There will be a, 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 a witness to Yahweh throughout the land of Egypt and throughout the lands beyond. For 14 years to come. And, and then More. And then more. We all have our own situations, our own circumstances. We have our own hurts and scars, our own pain and anger and frustration. And too often we let that get in the way of listening to God, trusting in God's plan. Too often when an opportunity comes along to put God's glory on display, we take the opportunity to make it about me, make it about my pain my fears, my freedoms, too often it's about my rights, my entitlements. It becomes about what others are doing wrong and the evils of the world instead of the glory and majesty of God. You notice that that Pharaoh doesn't stand up righteously with a righteous indignation towards Pharaoh and tell him all that he is doing wrong in the land of Egypt. He simply shows the glory of God. Pharaoh, with gentleness, with grace. When we have the opportunity to share a deep and personal moment with someone, a moment of honesty, let's make it about God, not me. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 gives us an encouragement in in how we approach this. How, How do we prepare our hearts so that in that moment our fears our frustrations our angers our hurt our bitterness does not take over does not not take front front place this is what paul says in philippians 4 4 to 7 rejoice in the lord always and again i will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to everyone the lord is near Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we prepare our hearts? When we don't know how to make sense of of life, sense of our situation, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. When you don't understand what God's plan is for your situation right now, rejoice in the Lord always. When people hurt you, when people confuse you, when people do evil things around you or about you or to others that you see, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? How can we do that? Well, Paul says, because the Lord is at hand. It's not our battle. It's not our fight. The victory belongs to Jesus. The Lord is at hand. God has a plan. God is in control. So let that glory be seen and it is seen through gentleness, through meekness. When we get, angry, when we get anxious, when evil things go unpunished, We get anxious when justice appears to be absent. But in Jesus, we know that God has a plan. Like Joseph, we can live faithfully in that knowledge and bring glory to him. And when we struggle to be gentle, when we feel the anger and anxiety rising up within us, the hurts overtaking us, pray with thanksgiving because thanksgiving reminds us of who God is Almighty Creator, Righteous Redeemer, it reminds us that God is faithful, God is our provider, that God has a plan, and that God is in control. Rejoice in the Lord. Let people see God's gentleness in you and in your words, and pray continually with thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord. Let people see God's gentleness in you and in your words and pray continually with thanksgiving. Let me say that again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let people see God's gentleness in you and in your words and pray continually with thanksgiving. In all things, may God's glory be seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we're just so grateful that you have a plan, that you are in control, Lord, when, when we can't see the way through, when we don't know what the solution is, when we see evil men prosper. Lord, help us to rejoice. Help us to respond with gentleness the way that Joseph did, that your glory may be seen, that the the lost may be found, Lord, for for those hurts that that have been scarring us for many, many years, for those broken relationships that weigh upon our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts, provide healing for us this morning, Lord, that, that bitterness may not take root. And we may pray earnestly for those who hurt us and do wrong against you. That we may love them with with, with your gentleness, with your grace and with your mercy. That the lost may become found. Father, we pray that your glory is seen throughout the world, within our lives and within our, our relationships. Amen.